0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. My name is Andrey Matiszak, and I work as the deputy head of foreign desk in Slovak Davy Pravda, which, by the way, means truth, and is not Russian Pravda. Finland and Sweden are still out of NATO, despite the agreement from the alliance summit in June in Madrid. Is Turkey playing a divide and conquer game, as it seems Ankara is all the time moving the goalposts? Is Russia happy about it? And what about Hungary? I talked to Tony Alranta, Senior Research Fellow in the European Union Research Program at the Finnish Institute of International Affairs. His areas of expertise include Turkey's domestic and foreign policies, in particular, Turkey's relations with the EU, the US, and Russia. Listen to our conversation. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on Coffee. For the link, see also a description of this episode. And now, up to the new debate. Finland and Sweden officially applied to join NATO on May 18, 2022. It's February 2023, and both countries are still waiting for membership in the alliance amid objections from Turkey. Did you expect such resistance from President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, or not, and why?
1: Well, a year ago, when I noticed that uh, there started to be this kind of writings in Turkish media by some well-known foreign policy commentators, and few writings also in the Erdogan's AKP media, I then realized that they now read this situation as an opportunity to push onwards Turkey's own interests, long-term interests. And of course, Mr. Erdogan might have thought already then that this might also be useful regarding the coming elections. So once I saw those writings, then it became clear to me that they will try some sort of delaying tactics. Of course, no one could predict how long it will take.
0: Does it make sense to try to sum up what Ankara wants, especially from Stockholm? Or maybe not really. As it seems, Turkey is always willing to move the goalposts. Because as you said, President Erdogan clearly sees this as an opportunity to follow own political interests. Yeah, and,
1: and those interests are partly his own political interests of, of his own survival. But then there is also what can be termed a more general Turkish state interest. And it's a combination of those things. And of course, it's, it is also, um, in a sense, opportunistic that he's trying to squeeze out of this as much as he can, whether that relates to Sweden and Finland or, as I see it, perhaps even more importantly regarding the U.S., because obviously many of the issues that Turkey demands are of the kind that also highly affect U.S.-Turkey relationship. And here especially I'm talking about the fact that the U.S. is arming and draining the YPG, Kurdish forces, in Syria, which is part of the larger cross-border PKK movement, although has become quite independent of it during the Syrian crisis. So from the start, I have always thought that this is also a card that Erdogan tries to use in order to get some benefits from the US. The Syrian Kurds is one issue. Another is the F-16 fighter jets. The third is the power balance in the Eastern Mediterranean. And these are all things that we can label as longer term state interests. But of course, there is also a widespread conception in Turkey that Sweden in particular is some sort of safe haven, a European safe haven for the PKK, the Kurdistan Workers' Party in Europe. And uh, whether this is true or not, we don't even have to consider that. The main thing is that in Turkey, there is this kind of conception, which is pretty largely shared among the population as well. And of course, now that Erdogan's government decided to make an issue out of this, it can be quite easily sell to the public at large, because the PKK question is such a crucial issue and sensitive issue in Turkey. When we come to the question of Kurdish diaspora in in Sweden, over 100,000, of course, there are people who sympathize with the PKK and who openly show PKK flags and Abdullah Öcalan pictures. Because as we all know, for the whole left-wing Kurdish movement, even for those who do not accept the violence, PKK and Abdullah Öcalan are are some sort of symbols of cultural and national resistance. All these things need to be considered. Then we come to the point that it is of course possible that there are individuals who have engaged in active terrorist attacks or planning of those attacks. And these individuals, of course, are the ones that our judicial components should deal in a a single individual basis. And even in those cases where there is enough evidence for the jurisdiction to the courts to show that this person has engaged in terrorist attacks, that still leaves open the question that whether Turkey is considered a country where uh, this person can be extradited, is it possible for him or her to have a fair judicial process? and whether or not she or he will be tortured, for instance. So all these things need to be considered on our side. But waving a flag has never been considered as a terrorist act as itself. And here, here is, of course, a crucial difference between the legislation in Turkey, where very minor acts can
0: be considered
1: as terrorist action.
0: When I mentioned moving the goalposts, the current debate is about the korhan burning protest in Stockholm. Would you say that Erdogan really cares about this? Or it just serves him as another excuse to prolong the whole process? As Stockholm pointed out, Ryogen is not part of the agreement that was signed in Madrid at the NATO summit in June.
1: Of course, it's an excuse in the sense that something like this can take place almost anywhere in the world. Of course, there are different legislations how police can interrupt it, but basically, If we go to that line of argumentation, it's easy to find some sort of manifestations of anti-Islamic action or thinking in Europe and then use it as a tool in this process. So in that sense, it's a never-ending story if if you go for that path. But of course, we need to consider the fact that now, during President Erdogan's era especially, the Turkish national identity has been retold from a more Islamic perspective. He constantly uses Islamic themes in his political articulation and rhetorics. During the last 10 years, he has almost on a weekly basis accused some or another European country of being Islamophobic. Even the commission Broker's report have been labeled as manifestations of uh, Europe's Islamophobia. So it's a really an endless path of things. So... It was, of course, expected that he would use this as well, now that he has decided to keep this campaign going on. That doesn't mean that this Qur'an burning incident would not be taken as a really insulting act all over the Middle East, not only in Turkey. But as you mentioned, in
0: itself, it has nothing to do with Swedish NATO application. You quote President Erdogan, our position on Finland is positive, but it's not positive on Sweden. Is this basically a divide and conquer game? Finland's foreign minister, Pekka Havisto, made some headlines a few days ago as he suggested that Helsinki needs to be ready to reevaluate the situation, but immediately said his country was sticking to its plan to apply jointly with Sweden. What is your view on this? Should Finland move into NATO alone if needed? In my view, this is not a decision we should take,
1: at least not at this point, not before the Turkish elections. I have now told here everyone that after the elections, we need to check out what is the situation after the elections, to what extent all this can be reduced to the Turkish elections and Erdoğan's domestic needs. We also need to check out that, uh, what is the overall atmosphere regarding Swedish-Turkish relations during the summer if there is a possibility for a detente and uh, if the now heating up feelings have been calmed down. But if during the summer the overall picture emerging is of the kind that Turkey and Sweden are on a collision path for several months or even years, then I think that discussion will reemerge in Finland that whether we should do our own decisions then. And separate the applications. But we are not at that point yet. And I think that when we hear these, these are thrown in the air during the election campaigns. For instance, president said that fin- we might have a more positive attitude towards Finland. Foreign minister Cavusoglu saying that Turkey might look Finland differently. That of course raises the question that what does this might imply? Because <laughs> We need to remember that our president was already promised once when this whole thing started. He was already promised by Erdogan at that point that there will be no objections and that everything is okay regarding the application. So we also come to the basic question of trust. Can we trust Turkish leadership uh, and what this might implies? It, it, It would be more honest to say that Finland has now fulfilled all that Turkey expects
0: rather than throwing these hints in the air. What if Turkey would ratify Finnish membership, but not the Swedish one? How would Helsinki react? If it happens tomorrow, would the government stay, at least for some time, out of NATO anyway? I think our own procedures are such that we could wait for a while. We
1: could wait, for example, over the elections and, and then make the final decisions on our side. This is possible at least. Well, of course, it would open up the debate that how we should proceed.
0: But this is already an issue that has been debated here. But do people in Finland start to be impatient about the country's NATO bit? Well, of course, uh, there are like a million voices <laughs> with
1: different views. I just uh, make a joke about it yesterday that there are there seem to be persons who would be ready to sell their mother if the NATO gates would open immediately. But I, I would think that mature view is of the view that this is indeed some sort of divide and rule game from Erdogan, and that the whole situation has become absurd. It cannot be the way that Erdogan is dictating the legislation here in the Nordic countries in order for us uh, mature uh, liberal democracies. To get into the NATO, so I think many see this as an absurd situation that an authoritarian ruler can dictate these sort of things. So I would a- answer that for the majority there is still patience, and m- most of us understand the situation regarding Turkey's elections and, and regarding the type of the regime in
0: Turkey. So, from the perspective of Finland and Sweden, NATO's ambitions. What would be the best outcome of the upcoming elections in Turkey?
1: If you look it from the Western perspective, an ideal situation, I think, after these 20 years would be a Republican People's Party, the main opposition party government, with perhaps some minor party with it. They would try, for many reasons, they would try to come a bit more closer with the West. I would su- suggest that they would ratify these applications within a few months. They need direct investments from the European countries and from the West. And there is a need to reorientate to some extent also. I, I do not mean that that Turkey would come mm-hmm. uh, back to the kind of country that it was during the Cold War or anything like that. We are past that kind of situation. It's a hi- new historical situation now. And even the opposition is keen on developing a more autonomous and powerful Turkey. But I still think that in, in this issue, uh, they would move onwards. So I I guess that would be some sort of ideal situation. The other option is, of course, that Erdogan is victorious again, and that he might think that there is no urgent domestic need to try to use this card any longer. And then he would also think of the issue that this is jeopardizing Turkey's relations with the West and with its NATO allies to a large extent if it continues forever. So that is, of course, the other, other option. And this is basically the, the calculation that
0: almost everyone has done during these last 10 months. Tony, do Russia's objections in regards to NATO enlargement play any role in Erdogan's decisions or not really? I would say that they
1: compose some sort of context, more general word political context within which all this happens, because I would put it this way. For Turkey, the Nordic NATO enlargement is not any sort of priority. And further, the fact that NATO is increasingly concentrating in its threat conception, concentrating on Russia, this is also something that is not in Turkey's priority. Turkey speaks about 360 degrees uh, threat concept. They always emphasize that terrorism, and in, in their perspective, PKK is at least a big problem for them than Russia is. So overall, the way they look at this issue is very different from other NATO countries. And this is something that I think is part of the puzzle here.
0: But Russia is probably happy about the situation, isn't it?
1: Russia is definitely happy about it. And it's also happy about the longer term fact that within NATO, there is this kind of country that has very specific interests, which is continuously developing its own particular relationship with Russia. So for Russia, I think it's an ideal situation.
0: It's much better than Turkey if Turkey would be out of NATO. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a very good point. So Tony, to wrap up our conversation and talking about various actors within NATO, we have been talking about Turkey, but the fact is that Finland and Sweden are also waiting, still waiting for Hungary to ratify the membership in the alliance. And it seems that Budapest is, at least rhetorically, more than happy to accept Ankara's objections. Hungarian foreign minister Péter Sieto just said that the Quran burning protest in Stockholm was unacceptable. How do you read the position of Hungary vis-à-vis what Turkey is doing? Well, first of all, I think there
1: is some sort of coordination between Turkey and Hungary. I don't think that Hungary would do this if Turkey had already ratified, but Then we come to the issue that Hungary also has its own interest, particular interest. And these are directly related to Hungary-EU relations. We have this constant rule of law pressure against Hungary. And I think Mr. Orban just tries to use this as a leverage against the EU. It, It seems quite obvious that he's doing this. And of course, Hungary also wants to maintain a special kind of relationship with Russia. So, yeah, they are also trying
0: to use this as a card. This was another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. Subscribe, listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on the other platforms. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on Coffee. For the link, see also a description of this episode. Thank you for listening and stay tuned.